You're listening to a podcast from the Lakes Church in Cairns, Australia. It, it is seriously just a joy and a privilege uh, to be here. I'm going to launch straight in. Um, we're going to have dinner at six. And, and so we, there might, we might not have the, the space to do ministry at the end of this session, but we will make lots of space at the end of the second session if we don't. I just need to say one thing before I start, in case it is a little bit messy at the end. Uh, we want to be a biblical people, and we want to live by biblical principles, not just in the spiritual things, but in every, every area of our lives. And uh, that includes... Um, what we do when we're not meeting uh, as a group uh, to, uh, for teaching and worship. Um, it says in the scripture very clearly, uh, first to the Jews, then to the Greeks. Um, is anyone here Jewish? Are you? All right, a couple of you. Well, that's fine. That's fine. Um, I'm Greek. When it comes, when it comes to dinner time... Um, you guys first, and I'm straight after. And the rest of you, just, just hold back a little bit, uh, if you want to be biblical. Now, that's what's called uh, a slight misuse of scriptural text. Uh, I want to look at, um, at, at practically at this session, uh, just a, a model for praying for people, for healing, for impartation, for Jesus to meet them uh, in, and in any way that he wants to, that is reproducible, that anyone can do. And uh, uh, the reason I want to do that is because I believe with all my heart that the whole ministry of Jesus is for the whole church of Jesus. And what we've done over the years in much of the church is we've restricted the ministry of Jesus to a few people. To a few people who uh, are, uh, we think are anointed or gifted or whatever. And uh, they do the ministry at us. So we wait uh, for the person with the healing ministry to come through town before people will get prayed for for healing. Or the person with the prophetic ministry to come and do the prophetic over us. Or the person with the teaching ministry. You know, like we want to sit under their teaching. And, and there is a place. Some are more, have, have more of an anointing in certain areas than others. And that's clear from scripture. But I believe that the whole ministry of Jesus is for the whole church of Jesus. And the trouble with putting a few on a pedestal and getting them to do the ministry at us is is it disenfranchises the rest of the church and if we're going to have any hope of reaching our world with the gospel it needs all of us it needs all of us to be ministers of the gospel in every sort of way and when it comes to the ministry of Jesus I believe that God says everyone can play the only qualification the only uh, advice thing he says is play nicely and share the toys and uh, I want to talk a little bit in this session about how we can play nicely and share the toys. I just want to look at four values that I think are really important that undergird uh, our, our praying uh, for healing and for other things. And just before I do that, I just want to say one other thing that I think is really important. What is the basis of uh, our confidence that God wants to move among us and that God wants to use us? I think the basis is the character of God. I think it's, it's, it's not so much his power, but his love. 
Um, when I was a student at uh, um, university, um, a healing evangelist came through town. And uh, a whole load of people gathered, and I went. And I sat near the back, and this healing evangelist, it was very dramatic. It was very... Um, uh, there was a lot of theatrics, and sitting in front of me, two rows in front of me, there was a guy with no legs, and uh, he had uh, shorts on, so you could just see his stumps, and he was in a wheelchair with no legs, and at one stage, towards the end of the meeting, the healing evangelist said, if you're in a wheelchair, I want you by faith now to stand, I want you by faith uh, to stand, and as you do, God will reward your faith, and I sat there, as this man's two friends picked him up by his armpits and, and held him aloft while he frantically, by faith, moved his stumps faster and faster and faster. And I watched as he went red in the face. I watched as he started getting out of breath. And after a while, some people did stand and walk out of their wheelchairs. Um, you know, I don't know exactly, but I'm, I'm sure the Lord did stuff. But after a while, the meeting drew to a close. And this man's friends... They, in an embarrassed way, they put him back in his wheelchair. And then they left him. And then everyone was walking out. And I sat behind him, and I couldn't move. I was mesmerized. And I wish to this day I'd gone up to him. I wish to this day I'd spoken to him. But I sat there and I watched him as he slowly recovered his breath. And then he sat there just staring. And then after a while, he shrugged his shoulders, and he wheeled himself away. And I was 19 at the time, but I made a promise to myself, and I said I never, ever, ever be involved in anything as ugly as that, because that is not Jesus. There may have been power there, but that was not the love of Jesus. That was not the Jesus that we see in Scripture. And uh, there's a wonderful little story uh, at the end of Mark chapter 1. And we read this, a man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. In the NIV, there's another little phrase that I left out that's in the middle there. Uh, when the man says, if you are willing, you can make me clean, it says in verse 41, Jesus was indignant. Uh, some translations say Jesus had compassion on the man. And uh, there are later manuscripts that say Jesus had compassion on the man. But actually the NIV is correct. The, 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 the most likely translation, the earliest manuscripts, which uh, are the most, um, uh, what do you call it, the most... Um, uh, Having most integrity, thank you, I've forgotten how to speak English, uh, have most integrity, have Jesus was indignant. And, and when you think that, it's like, what does that mean? That seems an odd thing to say. That's why some of the translators chose the alternative version. Because if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. Jesus was upset. Jesus was a little bit offended. And then he says, I am willing, be clean. What does that mean? I think it means this. I think this man who had leprosy comes to him and he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. If I'm willing, if I'm willing, bits are dropping off you. You are in absolute agony. 
You are a social pariah. You have to ring a bell so people get out of the way before you come. Your self-image is is dead because of the way you look. And you ask me if I'm willing. We clearly haven't met yet. You clearly don't know me. Of course I'm willing. Be clean. And you see, all these things, healing and empowering and equipping, is based on his character. Um, Moses, I love this. Moses, um, uh, in uh, Exodus chapter 33, um, he says to the Lord, he says to the Lord, um, uh, uh, now show me your glory. And I find that hilarious because, um, let me just get the passage. I find that hilarious because when I first read it, I was thinking, what, what a question to ask Moses. If anyone has seen the glory of the Lord, it's Moses. Mo, how much do you want to see? You've seen everything, mate. And just think about it. When Moses says to the Lord, now show me your glory, he's already had the encounter uh, with the Lord at the burning bush. Now that would do most of us for the rest of our lives. You know, if I met the Lord, a bush, and he spoke to me, a bush that didn't burn up, I would be happy for the rest of my life. I would write a book on it, my, my burning bush experience. And then uh, he's involved in the plagues of Egypt. The Nile turns to blood. Uh, locusts and frogs multiply like crazy and a whole load of other things. He's there. He's involved in that miracle. And then how about this? You know, God says... Put your staff over the Red Sea and it parts. The whole sea parts. Now that would have done most of us. More than that for the rest. We'd have, we, would have, we would have done documentary series on that. Then they get to the other side and the people are thirsty. And Moses strikes a rock. And again, San Pellegrino comes out. Water by, by the gallon, by the litre. And at the time when Moses struck the rock, you know, I thought for ages, well, he struck the rock and, and a little bit of water came out. At that time, most theologians estimate there were about two million Israelites there. And it says that they all had enough to drink. I mean, we're talking about an awful lot of water. It was Niagara Falls came out of that rock. And then manna came down from heaven six days a week. And after all of these and other things, Moses says, now show me your glory. And my question is, well, what's left? What's left? Leave some for us, mate. What else? What else do you want to see? After Moses has seen it all, and then he says, Lord, show me your glory. The Lord answers in Exodus 33 like this. I will cause all my goodness to pass before you, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion, and I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. That, my friends, is the glory of God. His glory is in his character. He moves in power to demonstrate his love. And for us, this is really important because because we want to be naturally supernatural. We don't want to hype or manipulate anything. We don't want to, to... to give people false promises. And he wants to put his love in our hearts so that we share his compassion. And when we minister out of compassion, guess what? We don't hurt people. When we minister out of compassion, we are gentle and we are kind. And he is gentle and kind. 
And so, if we're going to look at these four values, what's the first one? I suggest the first value we want to hold on to is we want to value the cross of Jesus Christ. We want to value the work of Jesus on the cross. How does that work out in in praying for people so that stuff happens? Well, first of all, we recognize that the ultimate healing is the forgiveness of sin and the restoration of relationship with God. That is the ultimate healing. On the first, uh, the first night of all our festivals for 26 years in England, our Soul Survivor Festivals, we invite people to give their lives to Christ. And when they've given their lives to Christ, I then say on the first night, you know what, guys, I need to tell you, it's all downhill after this. Whatever else happens, nothing can beat this. If people come out of wheelchairs, if people's cancers are healed, if people start to fly in the spirit, nothing beats this. This is the best. The ultimate healing is the forgiveness of sins and the restoration of relationships. That's what the cross tells us. By his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds, we are brought home. Secondly, if we value the the, the work of Jesus on the cross, we recognize that it's not about how good we are, but how good he is. It's not about what we do, but what he's done. Um, Now, if I... um, I mean, if I compare myself um, to Jeff, you know, I can feel I'm okay. In fact, I'm pretty good. I'm a man of substance. You know, I can feel okay about myself. But you know what? At the foot of the cross, we're exactly the same. And most of us, if we're honest, we don't compare ourselves to others and think we're all right. Most of us compare ourselves to others and think, oh dear, that's how it actually works. And you know what? The cross tells us that it's about him, not about us. Not what we do, but what he's done. Not our goodness, but his. We fall on the rock. We fall on Christ, who is the rock. Thirdly, If we value uh, the work of Jesus on the cross, uh, we understand that healing or uh, empowering or equipping is not is not a reward. It's it's so not a reward from Jesus. So we will never pray a prayer like this: Lord, bless and heal Mary. Because she's had so much trouble in her life. She's been so faithful to you. And this has been going on so long. And if anyone deserves it, Lord, Mary does. She's been so good. Because for every Mary who we believe really has been such a saint through her troubles and really deserves it, there may be a Jeff (laughs) who we're not sure is all that good. And we're not sure really deserves it. And the prayer that we're meant to pray, thank goodness most of you know me by now, the, the prayer that we're, we're, we're called to pray is, Lord, bless and heal both Mary and Jeff because you are a good God and on the cross you've already won it. You've already done it. You see, it's about him. It's about him. We value the work of Jesus on the cross. Nothing is too big for him. Secondly, we value the Bible as the word of God. And this is totally important. It's the word and the spirit. You know that you must have heard the phrase, the word without the spirit, we dry up. The spirit without the word, we blow up. The spirit and the word, we grow up. 
It's both. So we value the Bible as the word of God. How does this work out in, in how we pray for people? Well, we want our practice to be in accordance with the book. We want to do what it says in the book. And those of us that are a little bit more charismatically inclined, if we're honest, we like our Christianity weird, don't we? We just like it, and we get really excited when we hear what they're doing in somewhere else in the world. Have you heard what happens when they pray for people in Mongolia? When they pray for people in Mongolia, they take off and fly. Oh, we could do that. Or usually it's Colombia, or somewhere like that. You know? But, but we say that. Let's do that. And you know, we, we, we must... We must put everything through the grid of is it in your word? Not does it work, but is it biblical? Because if it's biblical, we're safe. I have one of my spiritual heroes is a a guy called Smith Wigglesworth. And he was a plumber from Bradford in the north of England. And he, he... He didn't know how to read or write before he came to the Lord. and In fact, his wife taught him to read and write. And he had no theological education. But he was known as the apostle of faith. God used him in the most amazing ways. He just believed in the Lord. And he just stepped out. And and he just just trusted in the Lord. There's crazy stories about Smith Wigglesworth. Uh, But he had a very simple theology. And one of the things that he believed was that all sickness was demonic. And that if there was one sickness he particularly hated, it was cancer. And that, had, I think, had something to do with his mother died of cancer when he was young. And so he particularly would get really angry with the demon of cancer. And one day they brought to him to pray in a meeting uh, a man who had uh, uh, terminal stomach cancer. And Smith Wigglesworth started to pray for him. And as he was praying and he was casting out the demon of cancer, in order to help the demon leave, he punched the man really hard in the stomach to punch the cancer out. Now this guy fell on the floor in agony. The crazy and bizarre thing is this. The man got up completely healed of cancer. He did. Now, I think there was probably bruising from the punch, but the cancer was gone. Now, when I first heard that, I thought, aye, aye, because <laughs> there's one or two people I'd like to pray for like that. <laughs> it gives a new meaning to the phrase, the laying on of hands, doesn't it? And then I thought, well, why can't I? If Smith Wigglesworth did it and God healed the person, that must mean that God approved of what Smith Wigglesworth did. So it must be okay sometimes to thump people when you're praying for them for healing. Now that's very logical, but I want to suggest it's wrong. Smith Wigglesworth is one of my spiritual heroes. He is not my model for ministry. Only Jesus can be my model for ministry. And there is no record of Jesus punching people when he was healing them. Now, I know one or two of you are probably thinking, ah, but what about in the temple courts when Jesus made whips and he overturned the tables of the money changers and he threw them out and he whipped them out? May I gently suggest to you that was not a healing scenario. (laughs) Something else was going on there. And if you look at when Jesus prayed for people, he had compassion. He treated them gently. He took little Tabitha by the hand and lifted her up. 
He, he would, and, and he has to be. In which case, the question is, why did the Lord heal that person when Smith Wigglesworth thumped him? And Smith Wigglesworth had a reputation for hitting people. Well, hasn't God sometimes answered your prayers when you've not got it completely right? Hasn't he? Well, he has mine. And, and I, I, I'm not saying this is what happened, but the only way I can understand it is it might have been something like this. Smith was praying for this guy for healing for, for his cancer. And I just wonder if the Lord was trying to say to Smith at that point, Smith, I, I, I love your faith. I have compassion on the man. I'm going to heal him, but don't punch him, Smith. You don't need to punch him. Please don't punch them anymore. Oh, no, you've just punched another one. Well... <laughs> I was going to heal him anyway, so I'm going to heal, heal him. But, but Smith, please stop thumping them. You see, sometimes the Lord answers our prayers when we get it not completely right, when we misunderstand things in Scripture. You know, sometimes I get really cross about some of the people that God uses. He, you know, he uses some people with terrible theology. Terrible theology. He even... I, I, you're going to find this hard to me. He even sometimes uses people who are not Anglican. <laughs> he does. And you know what? Whenever I complain, why do you use so-and-so who, who does that, who practices that, who goes over the top in that, who, who you know, who, who manipulates offerings, who whatever it is, the Lord always says to me, well, I use you, Mike. I use you. That's how it works. So we want to value the Bible as the word of God. Now, that doesn't mean that, for example, when we're praying for healing, we want this is not meant to be a medical textbook, okay? So, for example, if someone comes to you and, uh, and, and wants prayer and you say, what's the matter? And you say, they say oh, I'm, I'm, I'm blind in one eye. I can't see. Then you think, blind, blind. How, how did Jesus do it? Let's see. Let's see. Oh. Oh. So the, he spat on the ground and made a paste. Do I really have to do that? Do I spit out the ground and put it on his eye? So one time he spat on the ground and made a paste. There was another time. I, there was another time he didn't even bother with the ground. It says he spit in the person's eye. When am I going to have to do that? Is that a special kind of blindness? How do I know which blindness is make a paste and which other one is direct in the eye? <laughs> then there was another time when Jesus spoke. You know, you know some of Jesus' prayers. We're going to cover this in a minute. They're really short. I mean, he didn't pray long prayers. You know, there, there was one time he just said, "See." <laughs> That's a short one. You can learn that. You can learn that. Another time, here, walk. They're really short prayers, some of Jesus' prayers. So there are times when you spit on the ground and you make a paste. Other times you spit in the person's eye. Another time you just speak a word that you say, see. And then there was another time when he prayed twice. The first time the man said, I see people, they're like trees walking. And then Jesus prayed again and he spoke healing again. Well, which one of those is it? It's not meant to be a medical encyclopedia like that. Because if it was, we would have four ways and only four uh, to pray for blind people. But then, no, we wouldn't have a clue how to pray for, with some, pray for someone with a bad left knee. Because there's no record. We're not talking about that. We're talking about values. We're talking about how we do that. We're talking about about... 
about staying within the banks of the river as we pray. Number three, number three, we value the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to spend a little bit more time on this. We value the person and work of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means we recognize it's his work and not ours. That means we recognize he's got to do it, not us. And our role, and forgive me for the analogy, but they're the only ones that really resonate in my heart. Uh, Our role is to be like waiters and waitresses in a restaurant. We go to the customer and we say, what is your order, madam? And the customer might say, I have a bad left knee. I would like healed, please. So we write down, bad left knee, healed. And then it's okay to ask, how would you like that? Rare, medium, or well done? And then we take the order to the chef. And only the chef can make up the order. But we get to, we get to play. We get to be involved. Only the chef can make up the order. And we understand that either chef does it or doesn't. Now, we might get complimented. You know, my comp, this is a one, this is a wonderful meal. And we say, oh, thank you so much. And we know we had nothing to do. All we did was take the order. That's our job. Our job is to be obedient. His job is to do what he wants to do. And, and if we want to value the personal work of the Holy Spirit, that means we need to learn to follow his lead. Um, Jesus says in John chapter 5, I only what, do what I see my father doing. In another place he says, I only speak the words my father gives me to speak. And uh, it's learning to be still. We're going to cover this a lot more in the second session about hearing God speak. But sometimes it's just asking the Lord, Lord, what are you doing? What is it that you're doing at the moment? How can I join in? I want to join in with you. Would you initiate and I will follow? And you know when you do it like that, it's so much easier. It's so much more fun. And we want to be reliant on the Holy Spirit. And it takes all the stress away. It, it's you, When we understand, when I'm praying for someone, what happens does not, does not decide my value. Because I'm just a servant. I'm just a disciple. My job's to do what I do. And his job is to do what I can't do. Did you know that, that, that some of Jesus' miracles, he did them with the disciples? He did. There, there was, there was, do you remember the, the raising of Lazarus from the dead? Did you know that Jesus only did one third of that miracle? Who rolled the gravestone away? It was the disciples. Who took Lazarus' grave clothes off? It was the disciples. And I imagine the conversation afterwards went something like this. Oh, Lord, that, we did a great job there, didn't we, together? Did you see the way we rolled that gravestone away? Did you see Andrew's biceps? Did you see how we just knocked that? And were you watching when we took those grave clothes off? Have you ever in your life seen grave clothes removed with such speed and neatness and tidiness? Oh, and by the way, Jesus, thank you for your little contribution. The Lazarus come forth with. That was very good as well. But did you see what we did? You see, our job is to roll gravestones away and to take grave clothes off. Only he can do the Lazarus come forth bit. But we get to play. 
We get the joy of being involved. And it's all of us. And it's not dependent on our spirituality levels. He uses us in our weakness. He uses us in our brokenness. Uh, A friend of mine um, uh, called Ant, um, I love his stories with his little girl. Um, But uh, he was telling me, uh, a, a while ago, that one day his, his his daughter, who was about five years old, she said to him, Daddy, let's go outside and build a fire. And he said, okay. He went with his little girl, and they got some twigs, and they got some bigger logs, and they got a bit of paper, and they put it all together, and they put the paper underneath, and then they lit the flame, and it started going on the paper and then the twigs. And Aunt said his little girl, she knelt right in front of the flame. And she knelt there almost touching it. And she went like this. And Ant said he honestly thought more liquid went on the flame than air. But you know, after a while, it started to take. And the twigs started burning the logs. And then there was a big fire. And Ant's little girl turned to him and she said, Daddy, did you see what I did? I started that fire all by myself. I did that fire all on my own. And Ant said, I am so proud of you. You did. You were so good the way you blew in that fire. But you know what she didn't know? While she was kneeling right in front of the little flame going, her daddy was kneeling behind her. And he was going like this. And that's the picture. The best we can do is... But our Father in heaven is behind us. And he is going... He does the Lazarus come forth. And we get to play. We get to play. And I just want with all my heart to say to you, this is for everybody. So what's the model for praying for people? I want to give you a little practical model that we can all do. That's not about showmanship, that you don't have to be even in church, that you can pray. And I'm going to show you two ways not to pray, and then one way to pray. And um, uh, just in order to do that, I'm just going to randomly pick someone who's going to be uh, a person who, who's going to be the victim. Uh, Mark, why don't you come up here? Now, I just want you to imagine, stand here please, that Mark has um, come up here and uh, he works with me, uh, so I know him, and he's come up and he wants prayer for healing uh, for his face. And uh, (laughs) There are some things that need a lot of faith, I'm telling you. And so I'm going to pray for Mark for healing for his face. And here's the first way. I want to suggest how not to pray, and it's the evangelical way. Okay, and I'm not having a go, I'm an evangelical, all right? Um, Receiving posture. Okay, he knows what to do. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray now for healing for Mark's face. 
Oh Lord, would you please do a miracle? Our Lord, he's had this face all his life and it's not fair. The way he suffered and the way other people have suffered because of this face. And Lord, one day he's going to get married and it's just not fair on his wife. Can you imagine? Lord, just, just have mercy on his wife-to-be. When she wakes up in the morning, she turns around and she's frightened. She's frightened. Lord, and for his children, for his children to have a father with a face like this. And, and we praise you in advance for what you're going to do. And you did say if any two people agree on earth, you would do it in heaven. You did say that. And we name that. We claim that. We say that. We knock on the door of heaven. And Lord, we praise you in advance for what, you, what you're going to do. Lord, just heal his face. And after a while, I imagine the Lord's wanting to say, shut up. I know. I can see his face. You know, so often, guys, we kill it with words. Words, words, words. That's the evangelical way of not to... We just so kill it. We we love words. And sometimes it's just shut up. Here's the charismatic way not to pray. And I'm not having a go because I'm a charismatic. I've got a card. (laughs) Receiving posture. Okay. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit. To come in power. Ooh. Ooh, I can feel his power. Ooh. It's coming through my hand. Ooh, it's coming through my body. Ooh, can you feel the power? Can you feel the. Now, don't. Sorry about that. That was too hot. And we don't do that. We don't need to do that. We don't hype. The... You're right. We don't. His eyes are watering. Um, we. We don't hype the Holy Spirit up, he comes down. We don't hype the Holy Spirit up, he comes down. We don't need to try and make something happen. We don't need to try and and do that. Uh, We just relax. Here's a way that I think is a great model of how to pray. Receiving posture. Now Now I want you to watch very carefully and take notes of my technique. Lord Jesus, we ask that you send your Holy Spirit on Mark and... Lord, we just pray that you would begin to heal his face. (laughs) Did you notice what I did there at the back? I waited. I waited. Wait. Wait. Wait for him. Invite the Holy Spirit to come and make space. Either he will or he won't. And you know what? We don't lose anything by making space. So often we're afraid. So if we're more evangelical, we'll fill the gap with words. If we're more charismatic, the temptation is to fill the gap with... Sometimes wait. Sometimes the Lord says, just speak a simple word. We don't need to pray long prayers. Face, rearrange. That's a, that, that can be. Sometimes it's inviting the Holy Spirit to come and waiting for him to come. Now, what do I mean by waiting for the Holy Spirit? You know, um, often when the more you, we wait, the more we see him do. We've seen it already this weekend. The more we wait, the more we see him do. Uh, receiving posture. Now, sometimes when you start praying for someone, at the beginning, they can seem a bit agitated. But, you know, after a while, after you've, you've invited God's presence... You're soaking, you're marinating them in his presence. After a while, the person might just, the first thing might happen, just simple, they might just start to look peaceful. Look peaceful. 
No, that looks like you're thinking dirty thoughts again. I've told you about that before. Sorry, saved but not yet sanctified. Um, But the first thing they might do is start to look peaceful. If they start to look peaceful, we don't need to get all excited. God's peace is resting on them. Of course that would be the first thing. They, They just... And you can see they're engaging with God. Take time. Wait. Then sometimes, sometimes when God's presence comes on a human body, sometimes the person might start to shake a little bit. Start to shake a little bit. <laughs> now they never shake like that. Um, and if they start to shake, it, it's not like, hey, hey, everyone, come, come and see my one. Hey, my one, he's shaking, he's shaking. Have a look at this. Don't do that. Don't do that. Lord, we ask for more of your presence. We thank you for what you're doing. We ask for more. Then after a while, the person might start to shake a lot. Shake a lot. No, no, forget it, doesn't it? And then, and then, now not everyone will do that. You know what? Sometimes when we pray, there will be, thank you, mate. Thank you. All right. We'll keep praying one day. Sometimes when we pray, there will be, there will be physical manifestations. Sometimes there will be emotional manifestations. But it doesn't have to be. It so doesn't have to be. The thing is, you know, often in meetings, afterwards people ask me, ask me, was all that God? And the answer I always say is, of course not. Human beings were involved. We were involved. It wasn't all God. And, and, and sometimes it's not God, it's our response to God. You know, some of us are built more emotionally, we're more in tune with our emotions. And so often when we get prayed for, we will more likely respond emotionally. Uh, one of my colleagues, she's one of the pastors of our church, I've known her for nearly 30 years, is a lady called Ali, Ali Martin. And she's so in touch with her emotions, all you have to do is say hello to her and she cries. So guess what? Whenever we, someone prays for her, she's... <gasps> there, there others of us, we're more in touch with our bodies. And we're more aware of our bodies. So we may respond more, more physically, more with our bodies. Others of us, we're more, we're more aware of God in our, in our minds. We're more cerebral. And, and nothing physically or emotionally might seem to happen. And I'm standing there praying, thinking nothing's happening. And then I'll ask them and I'll say, was anything going on? And then they shock me by saying... Yeah, just while I'm standing here, I'm just, I'm just aware that Jesus loves me and this scripture just keeps coming into my mind and I'm just full of, I feels like my heart's gonna burst and I wanna say, well, how about you show it? <laughs> but they don't have to show it in, in that way. You see, what we're not looking for, we're not looking for a physical response. We're looking for Jesus to meet with people. And, and you know, sometimes the most profound experiences are, happen to the person who's just sitting there. Wow, that's what we're looking for. And sometimes when we pray, some people might fall over. Now, they're not, they're not, they're not unconscious. They're not dead. They're just having a little lie down in God's presence. And what they seem to say to me is, is, as I just felt God's, the, the, the weight of God's presence on me in a wonderful way. And it was like, oh, do you know what? I just, and, and I just wanted to lie down. It was like, oh, it's much easier. And as they're lying there, God's presence rests on them. Now, we don't all have to do that. When when I get prayed for, I never fall down. And there's a reason for that. (laughs) If I fell down, 
they'd feel the aftershocks in New Zealand. So God doesn't do that with me. Do you know, I tell you, there was one time. But, but what we don't want to do, what we don't want to do in, in our meetings is, is, is try and have, you know, it's messy. This, this ministry is messy. Doing this is messy. But you know what? It's messy in the nursery. It's neat and tidy in the graveyard. And I'd rather have the mess of the nursery where there's new life every day rather than the neatness and tidiness of the graveyard when everything's done, nothing ever goes wrong, nothing is ever a little bit messy, but there's no life. And we have to risk that. I remember there was a time uh, a little while ago when um, in, in our summer festival, uh, we invited people for prayer and these three friends came forward. They were about 15 years old and they came together and they stood there next to each other, these three friends, and they were standing there like this. And I was just noticing that as I was walking by, I would just check on them and walk past and, and just see how, how they were doing. And as I, I was watching, I noticed after a while, the two on either side, they fell back under the power of the Spirit. And I was watching the one in the middle. And you know, sometimes you start becoming aware something's going on. And I saw him, he was like, and then he opened his eyes and he looked like that. And he went there and I saw a little bit of panic on his face. And then he went, and I could, I could read his face. And his face was, they've both gone down and I'm the last man standing. There might be something wrong with me. So I saw him go. And he went down as well. And I wasn't going to go down there and say, you two either side, that was the Lord, well done. You in the middle, you were just making it up. Get up. If someone wants to fall down, they can fall down. It's a free country. But we want to create an atmosphere where no one feels they have to. They have to. And, and here's another one, and I know we're running out of time. Here's another one, um, and I'm desperate we finish at six. Cause... And, uh, and, and here's another one. So often... I, I notice when people are being prayed for, they might start to weep. And occasionally someone in, 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 in England, in England, in Sweden, in Norway, and in Canada, bizarrely, often when we have ministry times, people scream out. And, and do you know what that is? In those countries, in my country, we're still taught big, big boys don't cry, stiff upper lip, don't show too much emotion. It's all a little bit embarrassing. Swallow hard. And when you, when you, when you do that, um, the pain doesn't go away. It just eats you up inside. And then when God's presence comes, sometimes the pain, the grief maybe, the, 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 the pain of, 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 a, of a hurt or something like that, just starts to come up. And you know you're in a safe place for the first time. And, and, you, and what they're doing often is they're weeping in the arms of their father in heaven. They're, they're, they're screaming out the screams that they should have screamed years ago. And it's the Lord's healing them. It's the Lord healing them. And what we do is we treat them with dignity and respect. And I often say, I've said it already this weekend, if you can't bleed in a hospital, where can you bleed? And if you can't cry in church, where can you cry? And obviously, if someone's in a state where, you know, for their sake, just take them, take them somewhere where they're not become a, become a spectacle, because we want to love them. But you see, when we when we value the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, 
he, you know, I wasted, I'm going, I've wasted too many years telling God what I was going to do and ask him to bless that. It's so much more fun finding out what he's doing and blessing that. It's so much more fun joining in with what he's doing. And it's understanding his heart. The final one I'll say in just two minutes, three minutes. We want to value the dignity of the individual person. That means as we're praying for people, we remember it's not about us. It's not about power. It's about Jesus' love meeting with them through us. My old pastor who mentored me before I ever planted a church, he used to say to us, after you've prayed for someone, if they leave with nothing else, they should at least leave knowing they've been loved. They should at least leave knowing they've been loved. And that's the thing. And that's the thing. And how does that work out? When we're about to pray for someone, we listen to them. We give them our attention. Um, uh, you know, and, and we, 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 don't, we, don't, we don't tell them off. You know, sometimes when you start praying for someone, um, uh, it might be that stuff starts to come up in them. And someone might open their eyes and, and, and say, um, uh, you know, I just actually... I feel I just I just feel like guilty suddenly. I need to confess, uh, and they confess some sin. If they confess a sin to you when you're praying for them, here is how not to react. Really, that's disgusting, you pervert. Don't do that. Don't do that. But also, don't go to the other extreme and pretend it doesn't matter. Oh, for goodness sakes. I mean, everyone at some time in their life has wanted to be an axe murderer. I mean, it's all right. Here's, here's a way of responding. Thank you for sharing that with me. That must have taken a lot of guts and a lot of courage. Do you know his cross is big enough for all our sin, for all our brokenness? Why don't we take that to the cross of Jesus where you can know his forgiveness and his love and his grace. You treat them with dignity and respect as you pray for them. And here's the last thing, and then dinner. Make sure that we're doing it. If if you haven't got compassion for people, don't pray until you get compassion, because you'll just hurt someone. They're not numbers, they're human beings who God loves. You know, I'm an introvert. I know some of you might not find it easy to... I'm really... My friends know I'm a massive introvert. And I love love my own time. And as an introvert, I have to do, in the English summer, 26 days of camps. 26 days with over 20,000 young people. And that's an introvert's nightmare. 26 days. And by the 26th day, I'm going up the wall. By the 26th day, I'm like desperate. Please leave me alone. Please don't come near me. And then on the last night of the last camp, I finish the meeting and I start walking to the back door. My car is ready and it's the, the engine is running because I left it there and it's packed and I'm ready to go home and I'm almost free and as I'm walking to the back door I can see out of the corner of my eye this little spotty 14 year old hovering and walking towards me 
and I pretend I haven't seen him. And I lengthen my stride. And I think I'm within seconds of freedom. And just as I'm about to get to the exit to freedom, I get a tap on my shoulder. I turn round. It's this 14-year-old zit boy looking up at me. And he says, I was just wondering if you could pray for me. And everything in me wants to shout, no, no, you're too late. You had four and a half days to get someone to pray for you. Why do you leave it till now? It's because you hate me. It's because you're the spawn of Satan. That's why. It's because you want to do me damage. No, little boy, wait till next year. Everything in me wants to say that. But I don't. And the reason I don't is this. Because in my heart I know that that poor kid has waited for four and a half days to pluck up the courage to ask someone to pray for him. Because he thought that he wasn't worth very much. And why would anybody want to pray for me? And I gave the impression, I did a good act on the stage and gave the impression that I'm a nice person. And he thought that maybe I wouldn't reject him. So however I'm feeling, I'll say, of course I'll pray for you. Of course, tell me what I can pray for. Let's go to Jesus together. We value the cross of Jesus Christ. We value the Bible as the word of God. We value the person of the, and work of the Holy Spirit. And we value the dignity of the individual. At seven o'clock, going to talk about hearing God speak, going to try and be really practical. We're going to have time for ministry. But right now, we're going to have ministry of a different sort. Um, have the pizzas arrived? Are there, is it pizza? There are some pizzas. There are some. What do you mean there are some pizzas? There's a lot of people here. What do you mean there are some pizzas? There are also some hamburgers. Are, are there? Yeah. Are there? I thought we covered this There's this some morning. hamburgers. I didn't hear the hamburgers. Now we're friends. There? Oh, my dear brother. My dear brother. Okay. Will you assume the receiving position? Where where abouts are they? Are they in the... We have a a special table for you set up just out there. They're out there. All right. Well... Thanks. (laughs)